you would you would have had to have your head in the sand if you weren't aware that both those schools were still talking to the Big Ten um, or trying to figure out what options they had. You know the the depths of what they were doing. I don't know if anyone really could have understood, but that was that was not a secret. I know I I called. You know, I called our conference office directly to tell them, hey, you, you guys are aware of this. And I know there are other ADs that 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 did that as well directly to the conference office. But, um, you know, they, for whatever reason, uh, they were either um, not addressed correctly or they weren't taken with the level of seriousness they should have. That's Washington State Athletic Director Pat Chun talking about the downfall of the Pac-12 conference. What else did he say? Stick around and find out on an all-new episode of Gonzano and Wilner. The podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, aka John and John. Pac-12 conference play will officially open this week in week four of the college football season. Oregon and Colorado getting the headlines, but a sneaky good game. Maybe the best game of the conference schedule going on in Pullman between Oregon State and Washington State, the Pac-2 conference. We're bringing Pat Chun, the Washington State Athletic Director, on the show to talk about that, plus his experience in suing the Pac-12 conference, Washington State and Oregon State filing lawsuit and the uh, the wild roller coaster ride that the last four months has put those schools on, and what do they do moving forward? We'll talk about all that. I'm John Canzano. You can find my work at johnconzano.com. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. Wilner, why is it important for us to talk to Pat Chun? I mean, Washington State and Oregon State are kind of, they are both at the center of the storm and also on the outside watching it, right? Uh, just because of what has happened to the conference in the last six weeks, uh, the uncertainty of their futures, the legal battle, you know, on the court and on the field, right? Two incredibly uh, contrasting developments. I'm fascinated to hear what what Chun has to say about everything. The state of Cougar Nation, uh, you know, the impact this game could have on on the futures of the schools, what he thinks about the direction college football is headed. I mean, he's been on a whole bunch of very important NCAA committees, obviously cut his teeth at Ohio state under Gene Smith. He has a great perspective on the sport as a whole. So we can see if he can kind of lay the breadcrumbs out from, from where we are now to where the sport's going. I also want, yeah, on that note, I want to, I want to get an idea from him. If Chip Kelly's dream of splintering football away from everything else happens, how many schools are in that group? Yeah. You know, how how large is that pool, so to speak? And on that note, let's bring Pat Chun, the Washington State Athletic Director, on the show. Good morning. Hey, Pat. How are you guys? We are delighted to have Pat Chun, Athletic Director at Washington State, with us today, this week, this season. Uh, so much going on with the Cougars. And Pat certainly has got a great perspective, not only on what's going on, in Pullman, but across the Pac-12 and across the country with college football, having served on uh, some major NCAA committees. So you can can walk us through the big picture and how it affects everything on the on the campuses out here. Pat, thank you very much for joining us. 
No, glad to be here and just disappointed. I'm going to have to, this will be the first episode I'll skip because I have no desire to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) I am a loyal listener to the pod, a loyal reader and to both you guys. Uh, So, uh, so always glad to be on here. Well, thanks for doing this. You obviously have a huge game coming up this weekend, two ranked teams. I think it's going to be the best game, uh, you know, as far as uh, competition stands this week in the Pac-12, but what does that feel like to be hosting that game after, you know, what you've been through and what the conference has been through in the last uh, few months? Well, you know, I, I've, I've thought about it on, on different levels. One, you know, when you look at, you know, you look at both coaches and what they've been able to do uh, at their institutions, and really it's a testament to all the leadership that is in both locker rooms because with all the things that are out of both football programs control, uh, to have both programs continue to um, you know, perform at the highest levels. Both are ranked in the top 25. Uh, both are really understand, uh, you know, you know, they're true to their values. Uh, you know, I've not done a deep dive into Jonathan's program, but I'm, I can assure you they're structured similarly where they're just trying to be the best they're supposed to be, bring out the best in each other, focus on, you know, the practice that day and, uh, you know, and, and keep getting, you know, it's a progress over perfection type of mindset. So, um, and then when you get to Saturday, uh, you know, just really excited. It's 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 Washington State again, again on a national stage, uh, an opportunity for us to really, for both schools, the oddity for both schools to just continue to remind the country that amidst all this change, you have two universities that are doing a lot of things extraordinarily well, including what was one time supposed to be the ultimate measurement of your performance in football. Uh, now, on top of that, we're, you know, both schools probably, you know, like us, highest graduation rates ever, highest GPA ever. Uh, you have, you have uh, multiple teams winning at high levels across the board. But, um, you know, I guess we're appreciative of, you know, and what is what is turning into a, you know, you know, a historic year in the Pac-12 for so many reasons that uh, because of the quality of football in the conference, because of the quality of football at Washington State and Oregon State, uh, both schools get the national stage again. Uh, and it's an opportunity for for both programs to perform. Pat, do you think the ratings for Saturday, right? It's a it's a Fox over the air broadcast, seven o'clock Eastern. The ratings, the records of the teams, where you finish in the standings, does that stuff have a material impact on the next step for Washington State and Oregon State? Well, they have to because they haven't yet. With that, I guess that's the most disappointing thing because when I when I when I when I look at Washington State and even Oregon State across the board. Um, really the the this this TV market size perception is really the only thing that is keeping us out. It's a one metric for whatever reason that's accounted for because uh, when you look at you know, when you look at across the board in terms of performance, graduation rates, investment in facilities, uh, you know success over a five year window, 10 year window, uh, trajectory of both institutions, both football programs, uh, you know we consistently rate well, I think we did. Uh, what two and a half million with our Wisconsin game, and you know that's opposite of of the Texas uh, Texas Alabama game. 
Uh, I think in, in, in Oregon State's opener at San Jose, they did over three million. So there, there are two programs that continually, consistently are good ratings, uh, great on the ratings. I know, you know, in that late night window that TV has a put a premium on that only the West Coast can deliver. I think Washington State historically, you know, we've been placed here quite a bit, uh, but we consistently rate well in that in that slot. So, uh, you know, as, as we continue to reinforce the story of our institution, of both institutions, Saturday is another opportunity to show, hey, they, you know, our rate, ratings do matter. Uh, and here are two schools that that will put up a you know one way or the other we will put up a respectable rating uh, on Saturday even even with all the great football games going around the country this weekend. I want to back up a little bit because you you know you made a commitment to Jake Dickert in the wake of all of the Nick Rolovich stuff, and he has largely delivered on that. I mean, he has this team playing well. You have back to back upsets against Wisconsin. How does that feel to you to to see sort of the ship? get pointed in the right direction and moving with some with some momentum? Well, well, I, I would, I mean, th- this will sound a little bit arrogant, but not surprised. Uh, it, it's when we, we saw, you know, I, we were able to watch firsthand um, just extraordinary leadership from Jake in a very, very difficult time, unprecedented time for our institution. And that really took you to pause when you're watching this, when you're watching, you know, one, you, you had a sample size of how much our defense improved and, uh, you know, we're all friends with Mike Leach and, uh, you know, as off, as great as our offense was, uh, defense was not always his priority. Uh, so we knew that. Uh, <laughs> so whoever is going to be his successor would had to recognize that the build on the defensive side was always going to be a little bit different than the build on the offensive side. But then to watch Mike or excuse me, to watch Jake continue to build his defense and then really just just show extraordinary leadership and. Uh, you guys know me well enough. I, you know, we, I, we put a premium on leadership here, and uh, obviously, proven over the course of a season and a half is is tactical skills as a as a as a, as football acumen as well as recruiting acumen. Uh, but really, to watch him grow, like anything, this you know, no one's a finished product. And you know, when 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 we named a interim head coach, he was a different coach by the time we had left Seattle and won the Apple Cup. And he was a you know, he's a different head coach at the end of last year. And uh, you know, he continues to grow into that role. And this is just really the culmination of, uh, you know, putting, 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 putting a roster together because college football has changed significantly in the last couple of years, you know, putting a roster together that, that really can perform well uh, with the coaching staff that we have uh, in our environment. And lo and behold, you know, in, in, in a, you know, they're all critical years, but this year is a little bit different than others to be able to perform like we are is, you know, just, just another reflection of, you know, just how good of a person and how good of a coach Jake Dickert is and the entire staff. Pat, I'm curious about your, your hiring method, not only for Jake, but right. I mean, Rolovich, if you throw out the politics, right, obviously the guy can coach and, and, and had things going right. Um, and Kyle Smith, certainly terrific hire Jake. It's interesting to me because you kind of, the bulk of your learning curve, right. Unfolded at Ohio state, a place yes. that has everything. And here you are trying to find the coaches at a place that does not have everything. So how did you kind of formulate the model that you use to find head coaches at Washington State? Well, I think the nice thing for me at Ohio State is is it kind of set, you know, for lack of a better term, an idealistic view of of the DNA of a coach. And I I always kind of use Jim Trestle as an example, just because of the impact he had on that program um, on the young men in that program, but really he had a profound understanding of leadership, of team building, 
uh, of his role in, in the greater community. And it was fascinating to watch. Uh, but then, you know, but then, and then we had, and there were a handful, you know, Thad Mata was there at that time. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just a, there's just a litany of great coaches that walked that, that went through there. Um, what helped me even more was going to Florida Atlantic because you go from a school that has every resource uh, and can create them if you don't have them to a school that struggled to, to, you know, struggle for resources and it was young and was trying to, trying to find answers. And, you know, like anything, you, you, it's a trial and error phase uh, to try to figure out, um, you know, how can you win uh, without resources? Uh, and then you fast forward to here. I, the nice thing here is there's a lot of data at Washington State. I mean, this is, you know, this is a school that is, has, you know, no matter, no matter what the year is, we're, we're all, we're always in a conference that, that, um, you know, we've had half the resources, you know, than, than the top schools, but yet there's a unique history that uh, dates back with the coaches they've been able to recruit here from George Raveling, Tony Bennett, Mike Price, Mike Leach, uh, Todd Schulenberger right now, Jan Greeny right now, Cammie Etheridge, who's, you know, the reigning Pac-12 women's basketball champion and national coach of the year, Kyle Smith, uh, Bobo Braden. So there's been history of coaches that won here and uh, like anything, like any organization, you have to, like any person, organization, self-awareness is critical. And I think we've, you know, one thing that we've done as, a, as an athletic department is, is we put a premium on really trying to figure out what has worked here, what hasn't worked here, kind of combine that with with kind of the um, the DNA of what we think a, head, a successful head football coach, basketball coach, soccer coach, you name it, should or could be. And then uh, fortunately, we, we've had some successes here, but it's it's not, there's no guarantees like hiring on any level. I think even at on the C-suite level, I think if you get 50% of them right, that's great. And, you know, college sports is is, is the same. But I'd also, and I'd probably say this too, I don't think anything has helped us more than uh, it is well known how committed our president is to college athletics and yeah. cannot be discounted because when we talk to candidates, uh, you know, whatever circles are in, they know that they have an institution that that doesn't have all the resources, but they have a commitment to try to figure out can we get things done even with with our our perceived limitations? And that always starts with the president. If you had if, if your career had been a little different and Washington, you had gone to Washington State first before Florida Atlantic, you think you would have tried to hire Kiffin at Washington State? Um, I don't know if Lane would have wanted to come to Washington State. Uh, but you know, everything is timing and circumstance and things. Things always, you know, you know, people are attracted to certain places for certain reasons. Yeah. And and this is, you know, and we have to always figure out, you know, there's a profile of coach that can work and work at Ohio State. There's a profile of coach that can work at Florida Atlantic. And there's a profile of coach that that works at Washington State. You know, fortunately for me at Washington State, there's there's been plenty of profiles of successful people here uh, in Florida Atlantic. There weren't. And so you kind of had to figure out as you went and, uh, you know, you had some hits, you had some misses. Uh, so I think it's just it's a constant, you know, it's a constant personal evaluation. It's a constant, um, you know, it's it, it's really the great challenge because no matter what the sport is, the highest return on investment is the quality of the head coach you can hire because uh, yep. they, they bring in the student athletes. They they create the culture, sustain the culture. They hire the assistants. And, you know, you're only going to be as good as you're only going to be as good as your head coach allows you to be. We're 14 months from UCA, USC and UCLA leaving. And then, of course, uh, we had that early August um, sort of implosion that happened. When did you get a sense that something might be awry or that that this could be problematic, that that the conference was in trouble? Well, I, I mean, it, w- it was no secret that um, both those schools 
I mean, I, I would let me let me phrase it. You would you would have had to have your head in the sand if you weren't aware that both those schools were still talking to the Big Ten um, or trying to figure out what options they had. You know, the the depths of what they were doing. I don't know if anyone really could have understood, but that was that was not a secret. I know I I called, you know, I called our conference office directly to tell them, hey, you you guys are aware of this, and I know there are other ads that 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 did that as well directly to the conference office. But, um, you know, they, for whatever reason, uh, they were either um, not addressed correctly or they weren't taken with the level of seriousness they should have. Uh, like I tell everyone in our industry, um, you're, 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 you, you can be surprised by stuff, but not shocked. Um, you know, I just, you know, because of the geography in the moment now, you look now, you have, you know, ultimately um, three com or three conferences that are quote unquote national conferences and the southeastern conference is really kind of in their own footprint but i mean the world shifted with that decision and the world shifted again uh i guess a month and a half ago but um you know it, it's you know it now I, I was one and i know there were a handful of other people in our ad room that 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 wasn't surprised and heard the rumblings i think you know like anything you just it's just disappointing that that it got to that point and so then if you could walk us through your mindset over the course of the ensuing 13, 14 months, do you remember there being a point where you started to really worry that that things were going to fracture? Mm, I would say the more I, I well, one, I'm a, I would say, you know, one, I'm a realist of, of our situation here at Washington State. You know, I, it's been very clear, you know, Washington State and Oregon State, the stakes were always going to be the highest uh, because you could sense once you started talking to uh, people in and around TV, uh, people with an expertise on what's motivating TV. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very clear that TV uh, looks at college football specifically as an inefficient buy. Um, you know, our business model is is is. Um, extraordinarily inefficient as well on the college side because you have five conferences competing against each other yeah uh, would not see this in the nfl and on top of that you have a postseason competing against those five conferences so it's just it is a it, it is it is it's inefficient on every level uh and then you just keep going down this road of um just just you know it, it, it you know in hindsight when you look back there were plenty of there were plenty of warning signs uh, just just because we weren't we you know we had so little movement uh, on the TV front where um, it got to a place where what was given to us was uh, you know essentially a singular bid that schools did not find acceptable and that ruptured the conference. So um, you know it, it's you know there's so many like and it, you guys have documented it. We've talked about it. I mean this isn't one singular decision that caused the conference to rupture. The irony is there may have been one thing. There, there have been instances where one different decision yep. could have saved the conference, which is the irony. But you just can't have poor decision, poor vision, poor strategy, the the arrogance not to not to pivot from strategy, um, the arrogance not to just be able to have honest conversations with each other. Uh, and it's it's where and unfortunately we're, we're left with rubble today. And you know Washington State and Oregon State are are trying to figure out still to this day, um, you know what what options are for both both schools going forward. I'm I'm struggling with you know you guys. I mean the schools the Pac-12 schools were kind of in it together, and there seemed to be some allegiance or at least respect in that room. Were you surprised at how that fractured in the eleventh hour, or and everybody kind of ran for the hills or did what was best for themselves? Um, 
disappointed more than anything else, but I also understand the dynamics of it, uh, of, I mean, we, we, I mean, it, it's, I mean, even the construction of a conference is, is unique because you have, you know, in our instance, you know, at the end of it, you had nine schools that have, that are motivated for self with, with self-interests that ultimately become competing interests. And, and you have a very, you know, you know, uh, an unstable marketplace, and obviously people lost lost faith in, in where the Pac-12 was at and where it wasn't headed to. So, uh, like I said, everything goes back to this is just the culmination of over a decade of uh, of of just error after error after error of uh, of, of failed leadership of uh, you know and just just you know and 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 it, it, it's just shocking when you look back in hindsight of all the chances that that the league had to stabilize itself and never at one point did it choose to take that path and it just and it's it's why we're here today because by not making a stabilizing move not making you know i, I could see where you know early early on you know the, the league made aggressive moves by adding uh our guest center early on but over a decade ago by adding utah and and, and colorado and starting a pac-12 network obviously the league was aggressive and then for whatever reason uh the aggression uh, stopped and and the league ultimately did nothing after that and sat sat back and and watched you know the Pac-12 network underperform and um, watched the TV market change and a, a failure to pivot from strategy and uh, you found you know obviously disgruntled disgr- disgruntled membership as college athletics was changing before our eyes. So we get through August fourth, and you all and Oregon State obviously are very interested in getting as much information as you can from the Pac-12, especially in terms of the financial piece and the governance piece. What can you kind of relay to us? I know that there's an ongoing court case here and there are some things you may not be able to talk about, but to the best you can, your mindset as August rolls into September, you're not getting answers. You and President Schultz and the folks at, at Oregon State are obviously at some point decided, you know what, we got to, we got to take legal action here. What, what can you tell us about that whole process? Well, we like, and we've said it over and over, we, we need clarity on a bunch of different levels, clarity on the governance piece. Uh, you know, information was requested to the conference and uh, it was given in bits and pieces and, and both schools have a, um, have, have a, are motivated to make, um, you know, decisions based on full information. And this asset and liability piece is critical for us to make a decision on what our chances are to move forward in this conference or or does the conference have to ultimately go bankrupt? Uh, so those are, the, but we can't make that decision guessing, nor do we owe it, you know, and we owe it to ourselves and uh, all of our all of our alums and constituents to, to make an information-based decision on what on what to do with that. So, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, that, that, that you know, uh, this had to get moved to the courtroom, but understand, I mean, this is, you know, it's part of the awkward structure of, of conferences that, um, and, and just how we have been governed. Um, you know, all we're ultimately asking for is the governance model that was agreed upon, uh, gets followed through, and then Oregon State and Washington State can, you know, can make some decisions uh, based on a potential future for the conference. What strikes me is, it's history seems to be repeating itself because there were many years when Larry Scott was not willing to disclose a lot of the stuff that was going on at the conference office with the finances. Uh, I know there were some tense exchanges with athletic directors. I don't know what his conversations with the presidents were like, but I, I can't quite figure out why the conference would 
why would they withhold anything? Do you have any insight into their think, th- thinking there? No, and it, 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 it's really one of the, the more odd uh, odd responses in, in a whole year and a half or two years of odd responses. Um, and you're also talking to, you know, a majority of our schools, I mean, really with the exception of what USC and Stanford, everyone else is a public institution. So uh, transparency is the norm uh, at all of our institutions. When, when information is requested, we're obligated to give it. So, I, you know, there's also, you know, I guess a... Um, just just a, a fundamental misunderstanding but you know you know the this will have to i shouldn't say a hope this is going to have to uh, remedy uh, over time because we do need that information to make informed decisions and like i said it's just just one of the many uh, odd decisions or odd, odd odd responses from a conference that uh, has now over a decade of these types of responses pat if you could maybe dive into that a little bit timeline for you know, you guys obviously are, are, are looking towards 24 in a college football season. The timeline with that, and if you do remain a Pac-2 and the fine, and the money's there and you can live as a Pac-2, how difficult would football scheduling be in 2024 if you could look that far ahead? Well, I think that's where we're going to have to be creative. Um, you know, the, the NCAA did give us this two-year uh, grace period or cure period to be able to um, rebuild the conference from an FBS standpoint. Obviously, we'd probably ha- we'd have to do something as well uh, to to keep our AQs and the other sports if we were to go down that path. Uh, but it it is it is the most problematic piece is is the football scheduling. Now, I will say this: with all the changes and all the memberships and all the respective conferences, uh, there there are you know there, there there are there are a segment of games in which there's overlap. I know the Big Twelve has. You know, there's 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 former Pac-12 or current Pac-12 schools, future Big 12 schools that have non-conference games with 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 other Big 12 opponents. So um, does that free up games? I don't know. But th- that's an exercise that obviously that, that actually Oregon State and Washington State are, are, are going to go through here in short order to figure out what, you know, if we had to manufacture schedules for a year, what would they look like and what could they look like? Could you go with the other sports to, you know, the Big West, the WCC? the Mountain West and find a scheduling alliance, or I don't know how that works. Maybe let us in or let our, our list on kind of how that conversation might unfold. Well, the reality is that there is a, there is, there is great sports on the West coast. And now there isn't a, you know, there isn't a one all encompassing league in the West coast. So there's an opportunity there. Uh, but you're, you're correct, John, we would have to do some type of agreement, um, some type of affiliation uh, for all of our sports and the challenges. I look at Washington State. I mean, I don't think the rankings are out, but we're probably going to be top 10 in women's volleyball. Uh, We're top 25 in women's soccer, I believe top 20 in women's soccer. Uh, So, you know, we've we've patted ourselves on the back about this, but we're one of three power five schools that are ranked in those three sports. And those are our three uh, primary uh, team sports in the fall. So, um, you know, we've you know, we're like we're like a lot of athletic departments. If we're going to go sponsor a sport, we want to compete at the highest level. So we, we just got there's a thoughtfulness piece there um, that both us and Oregon State are aware of that that will come in that will add uh, in our decision making process. Are your coaches and athletes taking this whole realignment thing personally? Like, uh-huh. are you seeing it manifest on the field and on the on the courts? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I I I do know this that our athletes are are just a nice reminder of you know they are controlling you know the fact that we're performing so well right now. Uh, I just remind everyone this is what we call a normal fall at Washington State. Yeah. But also, it's a nice it's an inspiration and a nice reminder that hey, uh, you know, the tougher life gets, the more adversity you face. 
Uh, you know, sometimes the best and uh, the best answer to that is control what you can control. Uh, stick stick to your habits, and you know, for all of our athletes, it's you know, pick the sport, but it's you know, forget about the last play, play, focus on the next play, focus on practice today. So it's just a nice reminder when you see our young people performing so well. It's just a nice, nice, nice little piece of inspiration that hey, all right, they're controlling what they can control. I need to, I need to model their behavior and control what I can control, and just make the best decisions uh, based on what I can control. And and what's the state of mind of Cougar Nation right now? Like I'm thinking. Obviously, frustration, anger. Uh, do you sense a rallying cry? I mean, you know, and from a uh, material standpoint, right? NIL is obviously critical for everybody. Like, are, are you seeing any uh, results in addition to whatever you're, you're sensing emotionally? Well, the, because of state athletics laws, we don't we don't have that type of relationship with with our collective. But I, I, I and you guys have been around our campus, our our alums enough. I mean, this is a this is an institution that has an extraordinary amount of pride, um, and and that pride took a big shot based on the decision of others. Uh, Washington State, um, at least, you know, the nice thing. What happened at Wisconsin? You know, really, it, it's 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 also a school that prides itself on grit, uh, and we have we have you know it's it's that old definition of grit. We have, you know, this is a school that has passion and perseverance for very long term goals, and 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 one of our long term goals is excellence in athletics because we know how it impacts uh, our institution. And um, you know, you know, the nice thing about the Wisconsin game is you really you know the build up for that, and then even how our our fans reacted. You know, everyone's galvanized at this point and everyone, everyone, everyone is, you know, has taken this more at very personally, which you would expect from Washington State. Uh, but I remind everyone that the story is far from uh, over. And, uh, you know, you know, and, you know, the hope is as we continue to perform at higher levels uh, or at the highest levels, I mean, it, it, it'll continue to force a conversation of how are Washington State and Oregon State two of the schools on the outside looking in because the math just doesn't work out. I, I was told sort of late in the negotiations that there was a fear that, uh, you know, television was trying to break up the Pac-12 or trying to own it all, major influence at least. Uh, this game being on Fox, I, I know there's some fans who are upset, and I think if this were a soccer game, they'd, they'd have a banner out and the fans would be mad, but uh, are you saying that one of the ways that Washington State fans can – can punch back here or, you know, take some power out of this is by tuning into the game. And and a big number would mean a lot for Oregon State and Washington State. And, and do you hold any ill will towards Fox at this point? Or do you point more to the leadership decisions? Oh, no. Yeah. So, one, you're, uh, the, the bigger the number, the better. And for all beeves and coogs out there and, and, and those who – uh, who understand kind of what's going on here. I think it is important to tune in, and I think that would be fantastic. And like I said, we'll pull a respectable number just because of the time slot. But, uh, you know, and and you guys know both teams. This is going to be one of those four-quarter football games that, that'll go down to the last five minutes of the game just because of the way uh, both both teams are wired. Uh, and for me, you know, I don't want, you know, the blame game is an awful game, but but it is, you know, but we have to look inward and it is all the decisions we did or did not make in the Pac-12 is why we're here today. And the other reality is, you know, uh, I hope Fox recognizes these are two, two, two of the best brands in college football. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at all the schools that, 
Um, you know, you know, I, I'll speak for us, but look at our performance over the last five years or 10 years and uh, over the last 20 and 30 years. I mean, we're our winning percentage, my guess, will be at least in, in, in the at least in the upper half of the middle uh, of, of, of all of college football. And I just it just it's incomprehensible that two schools that are in the top 25 are on the outside looking in right now. Pat, you have served on NCAA Transformation Committee, Constitution Committee, D1 Council, Strategic Vision and Planning. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but you certainly have got uh, a lot of time spent at the big, you know, looking from 40,000 feet here at the sport. And what do you see as the direction uh, of college football and especially how college football could impact the other college sports over the next five or 10 years? Well, I, it's my opinion that there there are a handful of market corrections that are going to happen over the next two, three, four, five years. Uh, and I think the big one is keeping an eye on um, uh, Apple, Amazon, and Disney uh, to see what they do with ESPN. Bob Iger has been very clear that there will be a point that ESPN will go direct to consumer um, and that that obviously changes the marketplace significantly. And more importantly for college athletics and for pro and college sports, that is, it changes the funding model of where cable is because, um, you know, I think the three of us all grew up with newspapers. My kids wouldn't have, have, I don't know if my kids have ever opened up a newspaper and cable ultimately, ultimately may not go away like the newspapers, but it isn't going to be what it was, I think, in its heights in 2014 when I think ESPN um, had, a you know, had, I think it had over 100 million subscribers. On top of that, you have all the all the legal action going on, the NCAA, the employment issues on the horizon. Uh, so there are going to be numerous things that are going to correct the market. Uh, but this funding model is going to change as we talked about this, this, this inefficient uh, ecosystem that is college football on both ends of it, uh, on, on the on the Fox ESPN side and on the university side. Uh, you aren't you are going to see, you know, what, what we just witnessed in, you know, and let, let me let me preface this by saying it was it was a, a it was a bunch of errors that got us to this point, but it opened the door to destroy our conference. Uh, but but as TV continues to, to have to rethink its funding model and you see what's going on, it, it, you know, ESPN is paying for Pat McAfee, but laying off a whole bunch of other uh, employees to be able to fund Pat McAfee. Uh, they are only going to pay, you know, TV is only going to pay for the big, what they perceive the biggest brands, and they're not going to want to pay for the other brands. And that that fundamental change in our industry is coming on the horizon. It's why you hear things like, like relegation, uh, because I tell everybody, hey, we bring on a relegation model because uh, I don't know a model uh, in European soccer that would relegate two top 25 teams. So this isn't a this isn't a relegation model. This is a TV market size impacted decision making model that we're in. But all these changes are coming on the horizon because uh, the, the the funding model for this is changing on so many levels, whether it's how TV is funded or where the dollars go to relative to what, what employment means on the horizon for student athletes. And so given your experience with the, NC, the, the weeds of the NCAA, can you explain, essentially answer the question Chip Kelly posed fairly eloquently, why can't football just be separated out it's going to have to be and 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 that to me is where the, the the over time the problem is it's all the competing interests and it's it's 
it's, you know, there, there's a handful of schools and you could guess who the biggest brands are, but it's probably less than a dozen that won't be impacted by anything. And if the model stays the same, um, you know, ultimately they will continue to profit off this model. Uh, it's the other schools that won't. And I guess the question is, are those 12 schools willing to do something uh, that that provides stability long term for a sport? Uh, but we've all, you know, we, you know, all three of us are old enough to remember when Major League Baseball was the most popular sport on the planet. And they're not. And it's because they couldn't make decisions that were in the best interest of the game uh, and the game. And, and it's it's basically a local sport now. So, I, you know, th that may be an extreme view, but unless leadership and I've talked about this, there, there needs to be leadership in college athletics, college football specifically, because the current model is, is changing and crumbling right before our eyes. If you if you did separate football in in your view, and you can estimate this, but how many schools should be in that top division of football? And I I think Oregon State and Washington State both feel like they belong in that top. I know two of them, yeah. <laughs> Oregon State and yeah. Washington State. Uh, but I think, but it, it, the data the data is there. I mean, it's it's you know it you know you look at what's going on. It, it'll be you know I'll be fascinated to see you know, what, how Oregon and Washington compete with half the resources of their Big Ten peers, uh, how Cal and Stanford um, compete with maybe a third of the resources from, from their TV contract. And, you know, Oregon State and Washington State have a history of competing with half the resources uh, of, 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 the, of, of the people in, in their conference. So, um, you know, when you talk about who should be in that upper half, I think it's pretty clear it's, you know, money, money does, you know, you know, there is a correlation with, with what you can invest in your athletic, athletic department and, and wins and losses. And it really comes down to retention of coaches and great coaches are, are there's a premium for those. Uh, but the reality is money isn't the answer for everything, because if that were the case, there'd be certain schools that would win national championships. The Yankees would win every year. The Cowboys would win every year, but they don't. So there are other, there are other ways to, to, to win relative to, um, you know, the intangibles relative to hiring, relative to trying to find ways to find inefficiencies in the market. I think Mike Leach is probably the greatest example of, of a mindset of always trying to find inefficiencies in the marketplace uh, from how he coached to how he recruited. So there are other ways to get it done, but the reality is Washington State has gotten it done, Oregon State has gotten it done. And if there is a quote unquote upper level of college football or a division of half the schools that, that compete at the highest levels, you know, the numbers are going to always show Oregon State and Washington State deserve to be in that in that in that segment of college football. He's talked with your athletes, your football players and your other sport athletes as this was all unfolding. And I think you were trying to figure out what they valued or what they were thinking. What kind of feedback did you get from the athletes? Uh, and, and did it change how you guys sort of thought about the next step from, for your yourself in, in, you know, did you get feedback that said, hey, we have to be a power five or or were you hearing other things? Now it reinforced. It, it really comes down to competition, and and the, the reason why rivalries matter, why competing at this level matters, is um, you know you want to go compete against you know the best. You you know you want to put yourself through all this summer conditioning, all this time in the weight room, uh, you know, sacrificing going out because you got to study for an exam because you don't have as much time as everyone else on campus. Uh, all for the opportunity to go compete against some of the best and. You know, we did a video with Gardner Minshew and he had a great game yesterday. And he's, you know, he says he's, he's, you know, we go, we get to go compete against all the other schools that didn't offer you and go kick their butts. Uh, and that's kind of, and that's, that's in the DNA of Washington state. And when you talk to our athletes, 
if anything, you're just reminded how much competition matters. Like we're, we, I tell everyone, we're not, we're never going to apologize for wanting to win, uh, for, for, uh, for putting an emphasis on winning. Uh, but it also comes down to competing against, you know, the best that we can, uh, the best schedules and the best we can put around. And, you know, as we go forward, I think it just, you know, that's why getting back to the legal action that happened in, in Whitman County, uh, last week is getting to the assets and the liabilities, uh, does make a huge difference because um, you guys know this as, as as good as anybody else. There are some really good schools out in the West Coast that, man, if we could figure something out uh, from a competitive standpoint, we could build a pretty substantial league. But it comes down to this asset and liability piece that we have to get to the, get get full full clarity on. Pat, I'm one who believes that the expansion of the playoff is the biggest thing that has ever happened to college football. Yeah. with the possible exception of the Supreme Court decision in 1984, because it is going to be now it's going to be, you know, nationals, not invitational anymore. Uh, and whatever conference Washington State and Oregon State are in in the future, there's going to be a path, right? Because they have to have more. Yes. They have to have one more automatic bid than there are power five conferences to avoid antitrust issues. Yes. So it seems to me like and I'm not trying to in the slightest diminish the impact of what has happened but strictly from a playoff standpoint it does seem like if you all invest and continue to be efficient you're going to have a path into that playoff i mean it might and you could argue it might be an easier path than washington and oregon are going to have into that playoff yeah, we've thought about that and we've talked, President Schultz and I have talked about it. And, you know, last, you know, I guess the Wisconsin weekend, we did a groundbreaking ceremony on a $27 million indoor practice facility later this fall. Uh, we'll do a, a groundbreaking on a $10 million, um, you know, student athlete success center facility, uh, you know, on the horizon. You know, we, we, we know we have to uh, fundraise and, and, and do something with our basketball arena. Uh, so, yeah, so the investment piece we, we, we recognize, but we also recognize that, Hey, we're 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 very comfortable. Washington State. The nice thing about being at Washington State is Washington State is very comfortable being Washington State. Meaning yeah. that we know who we are. Uh, you know, we know that we can't spend our way to prosperity. Uh, but man, we can help people our way to prosperity. And if we can continue to attract the right people—that's coaches, student athletes, staff—you um, know, we we can we can put ourselves in a place where we can compete at the highest levels. And if you want proof of that, look at our history. And you're right. You know, now the difference is you have to be one of, you know, you ultimately have to be one of the 12 best football programs in the country. And, uh, you know, the data shows we've been able to do that in the course of our history. And, uh, you know, we got to stay on a path to figure out how can we end up being one of the best 12 football programs, because ultimately that'll that'll lead to what what ultimately, you know, began the crumbling of the Pac-12 is, uh, as you guys know, um, access to the playoffs is one thing being in the playoffs really gives you credibility on the national stage and our conference's inability to consistently get to the playoffs, you know, cause a lot of decisions um, uh, that happened in around our, our, our conference. And the irony of it this year is, I don't know, you know, this may end up being a typical Pac-12 year where we devour each other on the pathway to get there. But uh, man, the, the level of football in this conference, is just the irony of where it's at today and where it won't be the following year is not lost on anybody. Yeah, yeah it's so Pac-12. Especially, yeah. you look at all the ranked teams, you look at the stage you guys are going to command with your game, the Oregon-Colorado game, um, everything that this conference ever was after is happening. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like, what do you say to people when they stop you in the gym or the grocery store? Assuming you're in the gym in the grocery store. <laughs> but it, what do you say to people when they come up and say, hey, Pat, 
you know, this makes no sense. This comp, the money appears to be there as the schools scatter and, and get paid. But, uh, you know, how do you make sense of the success on the field not translating to television bidding more enthusiastically? You know, when I got here in 2018, the conference uh, launched a uh, men's basketball improvement plan. And, and we were the worst in men's basketball women, and women's basketball. So um, as irresponsible as this sounds, I didn't even open the plan because I knew right away, like our only way to help uh, men's and women's basketball, but it was a men's basketball plan significantly is we got to win. I mean, it, it's, we got to be more competitive. The bottom, the bottom has to rise. And right now we're, we're at the bottom. Uh, you look at, you look at um, where football's at. I mean, it is just incredible to have, I mean, that, these are historic levels to have eight teams ranked. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're consistent, you know, right now, you know, we're, we pride ourselves. We're, we're consistent performers in all, in most of our major sports here in Washington state, uh, because we recognize, you know, as good as we are, we make the conference and, you know, it is inexplicable that we're here today. You'd have to, you know, be covering this conference as long as you guys have to say, well, when you look at the history of what's happened in this conference, you know, where they're at today actually is, is, is what, you know, is really the result of a whole bunch of poor, poor leadership and poor decisions. And it's just, like I said, I think I told both you guys, there's a great leadership book that can be written about the last decade of the PAC 12. Uh, and really it's, it's failed leadership, unfortunately. Pat, I'm curious, it has been a really tough stretch for athletic directors, for everyone involved in college athletics, starting with the pandemic. And then the PAC-12 went right into this kind of crisis period here. How, on a personal front, how do you deal with the stress? What, what do you do? Do you go to the gym? Do you go for runs, walks? What What do you do to be kind of get get away mentally? You know, I, my, 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 uh, my, my solace is my morning workout. So I am a, um, do something by 5 AM type of person. Uh, if anything, the, the one positive of the pandemic is, uh, it, it, it allowed me to really kind of figure out how to get used, but use my time better in the morning. My wife, actually, I was a runner and then my wife got a Peloton and that actually has been a, been, been a better, more efficient workout for me be just because of the wear and tear and I can do it seven days a week. But that morning time for me, you know, I, I'll, I'll take about an hour and a half to two hours uh, just to get my mindset. You know, I, I, I recognize my responsibility, but also I recognize that, man, if, if I can't help anybody, if I'm not helping myself. So yeah. really it's, it's that morning time that's, that, that's sacred to me. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately, like John, we, I live, uh, I live with, uh, three daughters at home. Uh, so, so you, you get, uh, all, you know, being, being a father to them and a husband to my wife probably is the other solace that I have that even though my time feels like it's less and less, uh, really, really, really dialed in on being present as possible, uh, for my family. And I think those are the two things that, that really helped me personally manage any type of, uh, noise or stress that's in the system. I think for me, it was when the seven-year-old went, what's going on with the PAC 12 dad? Like she, you know, she's asking me questions <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, who isn't tuned into this stuff? Um, Pat, we ask uh, a lot of our guests that we have on to, to share with us some advice that they got me at some point of your career or your life um, that you still think about? What pops into your head as I ask that question? You know, so, so you actually, the last time I did an interview with you, you, you actually asked me this question and, I, and I, I, it made me actually think about it after. And when I was at Ohio State, the, uh, the for, for now former CEO of Harley-Davidson, a guy named Keith Wandell, uh, was a donor there. He's a friend, mentor. He actually, when I took my first AD job, 
he had actually told me, um, he gave me, he said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice, Pat. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, uh, um, the most important person when you take these types of jobs is your wife. And I remember thinking, uh, come on, Keith. I was like, I'm a, I pride myself on being a good husband and good father. I was like, you know, I was like, I get it. That's awesome. Uh, I tell everyone, it, it took me a long time to figure out, uh, and a little bit's just the way I'm hardwired. You know, I'm some son, son, son of immigrants. You know, my parents, you know, they came to this country with dreams and aspirations. And if you're a kid of immigrants, you know, that's manifested through their kids. It's as you, you, you have to, you learn later in life, their American dream is really through their kids, not through them. So it took me forever to really figure out that, man, I don't, I don't do this for my wife and kids. Um, I get to do this because of my wife and kids. And it, it took me years to just of, of just, you know, just being, you know, absentee at home to bring in work home all the time and be, not being present for my wife and kids because I'm sitting there arrogant thinking, man, I'm doing all this for them. But the reality and the three of us are in these jobs that have um, just so odd hours and odd stressors and pull you in so many different directions at one time. But it was that piece of advice that later it hit me. It's like, man. I don't do this for my wife and kids. I get to do this because of them. And that when you talk about things that bring you peace or things that hopefully help you be a better father and a husband, that, that piece of advice has served me well for a long for a long time. I think the story went that your parents wanted you to be a doctor or lawyer. You wouldn't have been any less busy, doctor mm -hmm. or lawyer. I'd probably be some. There would be a, a long, long trail of lawsuits, though. <laughs> I'd be a horrible, <laughs> a horrible lawyer. So yeah. I love it. Hey, I really appreciate you doing this. I think there's a lot of interest, of course, in the football game that's coming up. Two ranked teams, great game. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. But uh, you know, just moving forward, I think there's a lot in front of you guys. And um, you know, I think a lot of Washington State and Oregon State fans felt empowered by the temporary restraining order in some weird way. That you know, it was at least something they could hang on to while they're waiting for more. But I think there's a lot more ahead. We'd love to have you back on as this unfolds as well. Yeah, you guys know this will continue to evolve, and, uh, um, and and typically you guys have the information before I do, but anytime I come on, <laughs> definitely will come on. Thank you, Pat. Thanks so much, Pat. And there he goes, John Wilner. Let's um, let's kick this around. Like, this is a huge football game, Oregon State, Washington State. And on one hand, I was when I saw it on the schedule, I went, oh, that's unfortunate that they play each other in the first week of the season because somebody is going to fall a step behind in the race to try to get to Vegas at the end of the season. I think both these teams are pretty good, obviously ranked. But then I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, it's kind of poetic that it's happening at this juncture and not later where somebody's going to spoil somebody's season. At least we find out right away who's got the inside track. Well, the other thing, too, is later in the season, it, there may not be a, a window at 7 o'clock Eastern on Fox broadcast. And... That is, you know, a big piece of this whole thing is these two schools that that a lot of college football fans have heard so much about in the last six weeks because of what's happened. Here they are, both three and oh, both ranked, uh, and they're on display for a lot of fans who don't usually get to see them. And I think that, that that's a key, a key element here for for the two schools in terms of you know building their brands and kind of spreading the the story of what's going on. I noticed that I was at the Oregon State game over the weekend. They were playing San Diego State. They didn't look that good, but they got the win. And I was looking around, and the only Pac-12 logos in the stadium that I could find, there was two logos that are on the field that have to be there. Two of the pylons, you know, there's a, 
you know, there's probably a dozen pylons on the field. Only two of them had the Pac-12 logo on them. And I didn't see the Pac-12 shield anywhere else, Wilner. It it almost felt like Oregon State had consciously stripped it away and was just, just going, uh, you know, we're just going to play this game and do what we have to do as far as putting the logos out there. I, I kind of wonder if we'll see a lot of signage and logos in this Pac-2 matchup. Yeah, interesting, uh, because they may very well decide they want to try to rebuild the Pac-12. You know, I, I think the Pac-12 brand, as battered as it is, it still has more value than the Mountain West brand, which has been totally. around for, what, 24, 25 years. Uh, and if, you, if you've if you got the Pac-12 logo, if you're competing under the conference banner, then you have all the history and that history is worth something and it is significant in college athletics. So it will be very interesting to see which direction they take, but boy, for the here and now, you can understand why they certainly, they don't want to be associated with PAC 12 leadership. That is for sure. I think they're frustrated. Yeah. Frustrated by the leadership and and frustrated with television. Um, Also, yeah, you're right on the mountain West thing on the mountain West front. And, you know, as I talk, to even sources in the Mountain West Conference, there is a lot of enthusiasm still with Mountain West schools to be under the Pac-12 umbrella. Like, you know, they and and Oregon State and Washington State fans view the Mountain West Conference as relegation, plain and simple. And so even if you are playing alongside this hypothetical conference that could grow from, let's just say it goes from two to eight, I would look at Air Force, I would look at Colorado State, I would look at Boise State, I would look at Fresno State, I would look at San Diego State, and I would look at UNLV. Now you're at eight, you're not in the Mountain West, you're the Pac-8, and you know maybe you have a home for UCLA if they do want to come back someday, or a home for Oregon and Washington if things aren't rosy in the, uh, in the, in the Big Ten Conference, or maybe you just play as an eight moving forward, or a nine or a ten, who knows. But I think you're right, the Pac-12 brand has way more cachet do you think this game will pull a number? Because, you know, look, Colorado, Oregon is getting a lot of the headlines right now. But do you think Washington State, Oregon State should be the better game? Do you think that game will pull a big number? Yeah, I think it'll pull a big number, whether it's, you know, relative, a big number relative to Ohio State, Notre Dame is one thing, but it will get, it will draw a big audience for what it is a Pac 12 conference game. Uh, especially a conference game that doesn't involve, you know, USC or Oregon, for instance. Uh, but it's just going to be a great, you know, the schools needed to be a competitive game and and to have some drama and be well played. And this is they're they're showing the the country what they're all about. The, these two schools that have been left behind in the realignment game. So it it I I can't wait. To me, it is it is the most intriguing game of the Pac-12 season when you consider the backdrop of what's going on, right? Is it going to be what Oregon and Washington is in, in a few weeks or, you know, USC, Oregon, probably not. But given the backdrop, I, I just think it is absolutely fascinating. I know we're going to give our picks later in the week, but I feel like Oregon state is the better team, but in Pullman, this one could be dicey. Oregon state hasn't won there in a decade and even the last time they went, um, you know, I don't think they played their best game. And I think uh, Jake Dickert defensively will have some wrinkles for Oregon State's offense. We'll break down the game later in the week as we give our picks in the second episode uh, that we do during college football season. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. 
I'm with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can find him at Pac12Hotline.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and uh, leave us some feedback. It helps other people find us. And we'll catch you later in the week with our second episode. Thanks, everyone.